0: Hey, my name is J.D. Larson, one of the pastors at North City Church. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. I hope this inspires and equips you to love God more deeply and to love your neighbor as yourself. At North City, our mission is to love our neighbors in the way of Jesus, and we hope this message emboldens you. To do just that in whatever space God has sent you to. Be sure to subscribe and keep in touch with the conversations North City is having. And if you want to find out more about our community, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram or online at NorthCityChurchMPLS.com. Enjoy the message. What's up, everybody? Pastor JD here. Happy Easter. He is risen. Nice. I heard you say that in all of your homes. Thanks for joining us in this unique way again online. Let me just, you know, name the elephant in the room. Yes, JD is wearing a suit. If you're watching this for the first time or watching uh, North City for the first time, JD doesn't normally wear a suit. He also does not normally speak of himself in the third person. But I thought it's Easter, might as well go all out. You all maybe are sitting at home in your suits. No, you're not. We don't do that at North City. Just to keep us you know, honest and real and authentic, I had to bring back the slippers from last week. A lot of pro-slipper people out there. Thank you guys, appreciate you for being on my team. The haters were kind of silent uh, on the slippers, which may be a good sign, but the pro-slipper team did had, have some flack to give me about the state of my slippers. Uh, noticed these green marks and stuff like that, and they said, what is that, JD? that's JD, a little suspect it's paint y'all i'm a slipper painter i paint in slippers cut me some slack okay this is getting off to a great start isn't it happy easter glad you're with us Uh, i'm so excited that you could join us today because uh it's such a special day to celebrate it's such a special day to celebrate easter Uh, And it's a weird way to celebrate it, isn't it? Being in our own homes, being isolated from one another. It just doesn't seem right to what we're celebrating in Easter. But we're going to celebrate it regardless. And we're going to proclaim the truths that are in Easter today. And what we're going to do in the next few minutes is just look at some stories in Scripture and see how that shapes our lives here and now. So let me pray, and then we'll jump into that time together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Thank you, God, uh, for this day. I know it's different than any Easter we've had before, God. I know there's a lot of pain and anxiety in our lives and in the world right now, God. But we pray uh, that in this space we have together, God, that you would reign, that you would be alive in our lives, and you would make us come alive today in ways that we've maybe never experienced before. In Jesus' name. Amen. I love that question, what makes you come alive? I feel like I try to ask myself that question often in life and I feel like it's sort of this fundamental human question. We're always searching in our lives for what makes us come alive. Uh, If you know me at all, uh, you know that one of the things that makes me come alive is to be outside, to be outdoors, to be in the woods, as it were. Um, I have a lot of hobbies that center around being outside. And one of the things I love about being in nature and being outside is the environment shapes my conversations with God. It really kind of broadens my perspective in my world. And uh, just this past week, I discovered this poem from Mary Oliver, who is a poet who actually passed away last year. Uh, And one of her poems is called The Summer Day. What I love about this poem is that it captures these sort of questions that go on in my mind and I know many people's minds when we're considering the stars, when we're just taking in a beautiful summer day. And I know I've got your soul salivating now, sitting at home, not having access to some of these things. But would you listen to this poem for me? And I want you to pay attention to how it calls forth these sort of questions we have about how we come alive and what we do with our lives. This is called The Summer Day. Who made the world? Who made the swan? now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face now she snaps her wings open and floats away i don't know exactly what prayer is i do know how to pay attention how to fall down into the grass how to kneel down into the grass how to be idle and blessed How to stroll through the fields, which I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? And then these are the sobering words that have stuck out to me this week. Doesn't everything die at last? And too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Can't you imagine that sitting in the field, wondering those things? Maybe you've been asking yourself some of the same questions these past few weeks. What will I do with my one wild and precious life? When life seems so fragile, we ask questions, fundamental human questions about what life is. We're asking questions about life beyond the life we experience in the body. What will we do with our one, wildlife? This question always brings up frustration and wrestling and restlessness in us. I love how Ecclesiastes 3.11 puts this sort of thing. It says, God has set eternity in the hearts of human beings. What it means by that is God has given all of us who are human the sense of something that's far beyond ourselves, far beyond the life that we're living, and we yearn to be connected to that something. We yearn restlessly through our lives and we do all sorts of things to fill that yearning in our life, don't we? Our hearts are restless continually. This restlessness has become vivid and real, at least for me in the last few weeks, uh, weeks, when most things that we gain life from, that we pursue life in the midst of have been stripped away from us. Some things of those things have been stripped away or they've completely changed. So like work has changed for most of us and maybe work's not going well. If, you, if you're responsible for a business or a position or something, it's become increasingly difficult or you've lost your job. Something that was an asset to you has now become a liability and you're left in this restless state. Uh, your friends are not accessible to you in the same way. You have to Zoom call instead of go and ha- uh, have dinner at their home. All of these things that bring us life, when they're taken away, they leave us restless and leave us with these questions. What brings us life? And and things have come into the focus in some sense. Uh, We can't go out and eat the food that we've eaten anymore. Any financial security that we may have had uh, has either gone away or shifted. Uh, if, if we're uh, fortunate, maybe it hasn't shifted that much, but it raises these questions. What are you staking your life in? What is your life grounded on? How are you pursuing life? And these questions that come up are like, do these things that we invest our life in ultimately give us life? As, are we living our lives or are our lives living us? Henry Nouwen has this wonderful book called Following Jesus and he notes that it's called Following Jesus in an Anxious World, I think is the title. And he notes in these anxious times, and let's just be honest, before this whole pandemic, it wasn't like life wasn't anxious. We all experience this anxiety, this restlessness. And he says in this book that we either have kind of two general responses to this anxiety. One of them is busyness or franticness. We frantically fill our lives with things that we hope will fill our lives up until we're running ragged from one thing to the next, feeling totally busy and burnt out. The other extreme, we can freeze instead of be frantic, and we can kind of shut our life off and turn Netflix or whatever it else, whatever we choose to binge on in some sense. And I've felt both of those responses in this stay at home order, in this social isolation, in the midst of this anxiety. I feel frantic to fill my life with things and I feel bored and frozen and lifeless. Henry Nouwen says both of those responses are not pursuing life. So how do we pursue life? This is a question that humans have been asking for a long time, ever since they were created. Essentially, it's a fundamental human question. Do I find life outside of myself, inside of myself? Do I find it through work, through family? Do I find it in the stars, in the mystery of the universe, in trees and mountains, whatever? All of religious history, in some sense, can be understand, understood as the pursuit of life beyond yourself. And the Greeks, in their time, had this word for this big concept of pursuing life. And they called it zoe, their word for life. It was really clear to them that life was integrated into your physical body. Obviously, your breath was a part of you having life, but it was so much grander than that. And It was this acknowledgement that part of what it meant to be alive is to be connected to something greater outside of yourself. Now, we as a community have been looking at the Gospel of John, and what's unique about the Gospel of John is it was written like 90 years after Jesus's life, and it's about Jesus, but it's primarily written to the Greek audience, this audience that was very familiar with this restlessness, this pursuit of Zoe, this pursuit of life. And it makes this audacious claim about who Jesus is to the Greeks and to us, and just Four verses in to the beginning of this gospel, it says something about Jesus. It says, in Jesus was life. And that life was the light of mankind. What it's saying is Jesus himself is Zoe, is that life. And it goes on to say, beyond him just being that life, it says that the Zoe, the life came to dwell among us, came to make his home among us. It says the story about Jesus is about life coming to make home, to make a dwelling with humankind. We've been exploring this gospel and we've been doing so by noticing the things that Jesus says about himself because we think they really influence what, who we are, our own idea, identity. Jesus's identity influences who we are as human beings. Who Jesus is influences what it means to be human. And he's. we've been noticing how he's said things in these I am statements, which is a nod to the Old Testament God and him identifying with this God who's been there from the beginning of time and saying, I am that person. But then he says he is other things like the bread of life, the very sustenance of life, if you will. He says, I am the shepherd. And in that time, shepherd was synonymous with leader. I am a good leader he says i am the light of the world the thing that reveals what is most true about reality i am the vine he says which is him saying i am the thing that you can be connected to to get life and then last week we talked about jesus saying this phrase i am the resurrection and the life and this idea of resurrection and this Now and not yet reality, wherein now we hope for God to make the world more like what he ultimately hopes it to be and what he intended it to be from the beginning and the life that comes from Jesus and will ultimately come from him. And this week on Easter Sunday, we want to look at chapter 14, where Jesus says this phrase, I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. And why I think it's awesome that we're looking at this on Easter Sunday is that I think in so many ways, this statement is Jesus' answer to our question, what makes us as human beings come alive? Where do we draw our life from? So go ahead and turn to John 14. I want to look at that together with you. If you'll turn there, let me just give you a little backdrop of what's happening in, in that immediate context of the Gospel of John So this happens in uh, chapter 14, and scholars talk about chapter 13 through 17 as the upper room discourse. That means that this is all, all this conversation that we're going to get a snippet of happens in the context of this long conversation of Jesus with his best friends, his disciples, his people who've been following him around through uh, most of the last part of his life. And they get in these deep conversations and he does some really amazing things in this upper room. And they're celebrating the festival of Passover, which is the celebration of the Israelites people being brought out of slavery and into freedom. And Jesus gives these new practices to his followers, one of which is communion right there in the midst of the story, which we'll practice later and have practiced throughout centuries, the church has. But they're celebrating Passover and he has just washed the disciples' feet as a way of communicating that I'm a completely different leader than you're used to. I'm not a leader who's trying to take advantage of you. I am here to serve you and give you what you need at my expense, essentially. And things are getting heavy. Things are getting real for this crew. Uh, He starts talking about how he will die. He starts talking about things that will ultimately happen, which, of course, brings up tons of questions for the disciples. So let's read it. John 14, 1 through 7. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Pause. Can you just receive that today? That word from Jesus before we even move on to anything else? Let me say it again. Do not let your hearts be troubled. He continues and said, says, you believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place that I am going. His disciples are confused by this. One of them, Thomas, asks, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus responds with this statement. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do not know him and have or you do know him and have seen him. There was this band way back in the day, maybe they're still around, I don't know about it, called Audio Adrenaline. Anyone remember this band? Sort of a Christian band. Uh, I grew up as a pastor's kid, so we had all the Christian music going on in our house. And there was a song of Audio Adrenaline's that we used to listen to all the time called Big House. Does anybody remember this song? Uh, big, big house, lots and lots of room. Trust me, you don't want me to sing it. Uh, I remember this song because of this text where Jesus gives this imagery of this big house uh, that he's preparing a place for us. And it's a fun song. So I I showed it to my kids this week and they were dancing around the living room. Here's a clip of them doing that. My family had a lot of fun with that song this week, but it sort of raised some questions uh, in me. I'm like, is, is that what Jesus is referring to here? Is that what Jesus is talking about when he is talking about all this uh, Father's house sort of things and preparing a place for us? Typically in Christian uh, preaching and stuff like that, this is a text used for a future reality that we hope for. And though I think that's really true, I think that these images are beautiful images of how uh, God ultimately wants us to be in his presence. Usually when Jesus is saying something, he's saying something for both uh, the future and for the now. And I think that's what's going on here. I think Jesus is giving us just as much a picture of what will ultimately be as a picture of what we can experience now. And part of the reason I think that is that the only other place in John's gospel that Jesus refers to his father's house, he's referring to the temple. He's referring to this place where Jews had constructed this way of being in God's presence in the now. Now they had a really ornate way of doing it. You had to like give sacrifices and only a priest could go into God's presence. But still the temple was about this intersectionality, this place where heaven and earth met. And if Jesus is referring to that, he's saying that I'm going to prepare a way for you to come into that space. This temple space. It's really interesting to me that we still have temples today. And I'm not just talking about religious temples. I think temples are anything that we have in our life, any places, any practices where we try to connect with something outside of ourselves. Uh, I think football stadiums are temples in a way. And I'm not trying to knock football stadiums. I just think people go to get caught up into something that's bigger than themselves, something beyond what they are. And temples still function like that someday. But what Jesus is saying to us in this text is I'm going to make a temple for you where you can be at home with God, where you can be at home with the source of life and I'm going to show you the way to get there. In his phrase, I am the way, the truth, and the life, ought to be understood under that image, under that reality of Jesus saying, I'm gonna create a home where you feel connected, where you have identity, where you have belonging, and I am the way that you can experience that. Let's break down this way, the truth, and the life. Now, the way, he says, is himself. He says he himself is the life, relationship, connectedness to Him, following His leadership is the way. And that is comprised of, the way is comprised of truth that leads one into life, truth and life. This truth is about Jesus revealing to us uh, a reality that we can't quite see with our own eyes. Jesus' leadership in our lives gives us access to truth that we can't see from our perspective. Uh, Let me just give you an example, like the reality that I am wearing gym shorts right now. (laughs) I'm not wearing a false suit. Hashtag truth. That's what I'm talking about. Jesus can see something beyond our own perspective. And when we follow his leadership, we're led into this life and life abundantly, as it says, that we as human beings were designed to be connected to our creator who is himself founded in loving relationship. How beautiful that the image we have of life is this image of this home, of this loving, loving parent who creates this identity, belonging, and peace for us. Now, when I say home, you may not think those things and this stay at home order has showed us that our experience of home in the here and now is not quite like, uh, God is talking about. I know my experience of home has been beautiful in some senses, uh, but has been uh, really restless in other senses. But I think there's something to learn in that. I think that what we long for in the stay at home order is relationship. I think what this stay-at-home order is showing me is that I am created for relationship. This pang that we feel in our hearts for relationship is our heart crying out for what it was made for. Relationship. And first and foremost, relationship with our maker, our father, for whom we derive our identity. Genesis says we're made in the image of God, which means we're made for relationship. Relationship with life itself. In John 14, uh, Jesus says these words. He says, if anyone loves me, has a relationship with me, and obeys what I'm teaching, like takes my leadership seriously in their life, pursues the wisdom that I have for them, pursues a relationship with me, my father, this eternal parent, will love me them. And we will come to him or her and make our home in him or her. Isn't that an amazing claim? Jesus is saying is if you have a relationship with him, God himself will come and make this home that he's talking about with you in your life. And Jesus makes this possible. Isn't that remarkable that the God of the universe, the life that this Zoe that everyone has been longing for, the gospel of John is saying that that life is like a home and that God can come and make a home in your very life. Talk about what it means to come alive. And you might be wondering, why are we talking about this on Easter, the, the day we celebrate Jesus' resurrection? And like I said last week, Easter era is not the end of a story, it's the beginning of the story. Why we're celebrating this on Easter is that what Jesus accomplishes on Easter with his resurrection makes this life possible. The gospel is super clear that he has accomplished everything everything possible for us to have a relationship with God the Father, the one who made us, the one who made us for relationship. God, Jesus has done everything possible for us to come home, to find our rest in God every day of our life. In Easter, we celebrate that the way of Jesus makes us come alive because it's our true home. It's where we find our identity, belonging, truth for how to live. Paul puts it this way when he's trying to communicate to Greeks about what this means for Jesus and being in a relationship with Jesus. He says, in him, we live, move, and have our being. In the language we've been using today, in Jesus, we fully come alive. And everything Jesus accomplished in resurrection, everything we celebrate in Easter, is the power to accomplish that in your life? You might be listening to this and saying, Well, that sounds amazing. How do I actually access that? How do I actually step into that? How do I even, like, is that just some mystical reality for me to know? Or how do I actually experience that? I am really glad you asked. Jesus sort of gives us an answer when he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, right? Maybe you're listening to this and you're saying, I believe in God. His simple answer to you is believe also in me. He says that right in verse one, believe also in me. This believing, this trusting is a sort of surrender. It's a sort of giving up. In ways, it's a giving up on trying to find life in everything else but God. And I don't mean that you can't experience life. I mean that every other part of life makes sense and becomes fully true when you find life in Jesus. See, Jesus didn't come to say, I'm gonna take the fun things of life away from you. He said the opposite. He said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. What Jesus is saying is when you prioritize, when you surrender to my presence in your life as your leader and guide for this life, when you live into my way, that's when you fully come alive. Don't you want that? Don't you want that life abundantly? Aren't you tired of being so busy, filling your life with things that don't actually give you life but take life away from you? Aren't you so tired of being so numb and having trouble finding life, being frozen or being frantic, Jesus is saying to you today, if you're listening to this, Jesus is for sure saying to you, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come and believe in me and experience life and have it to the full. Have it abundantly. And how we enter into that life is surrendering to Jesus. Trusting that following Jesus' way is a better life than the life we would try to live on our own, because it's the way we were created to live. I love how Jesus invites people to this relationship, to this life. There's this wonderful verse in Matthew, or verses in Matthew 11:28 28 through 30. And I, I wonder if you'll just listen to this verse as Jesus speaking to you about what will bring you life and speaking to your situation i know that these weeks have been full of anxiety i know that these le- weeks has have brought up a lot of deeper questions about what we actually gain life from would you let jesus speak into your situation with these words this is matthew 28:30 written or uh, read in the message version are you tired worn out burnt out on religion, all these formalities, these ways of connecting with life, all these structures that aren't actually a relationship. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to make real rest in your life. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Watch how I lead you through life. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy on you or ill-fitting for you. Keep company with me. Be my friend and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Would you receive that today? Do you believe Jesus is inviting you into that life? Today we proclaim He is risen, which is to say, He has accomplished everything necessary for us to enter into that life. He is our way, He is our truth, He is our life. I want to close uh, by asking you this simple question When this is all over, when life goes back to normal, Will you prioritize what brings you life? That's a question I'm asking myself. What can I take from this experience? This experience is, is bringing clarity about where I, my life actually comes from, where my identity, where my belonging, what actually brings my, me life, and the answer is Jesus. But the question is, will life just go back to normal? Will we choose to prioritize the way the truth and life in the after and in the out the now do you want to go back to the frenzy and the busyness or back to the abject boredom and numbness or can you trust jesus today and believe that he will bring you life when we draw from jesus we start to come alive and his love compels us out to our neighbors Not only do we experience true life, but we can show as an example of what life is like in relationship with Jesus when we live in his way and we're held in his love. You can have that life and you can choose it today. If you're hearing about this for the first time and you say, I want to do that today. I want to trust in Jesus today as the way, the truth, and the life. Say something in the comments or direct message us. We want to be a community that's here for you. To walk with you in that journey. And trust me, it's the best decision that you will ever make. I wanna close my time with this uh, wonderful video we put together of a scripture that's very meaningful to our community right now. It's Romans 8, 34 through 39. It's a scripture that comes right after uh, the author of Romans, Paul, saying that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. The same power that accomplished all those things lives in us and gives us life. And then Paul says this as a piece of encouragement in a really trying time. So would this be a piece of encouragement to you? Romans 8, 34 through 39. Christ Jesus who died, what a that? Who was raised to life? Is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written... He is risen. He is risen indeed. That was awesome. That was really wonderful. Thank you for being a part of that. I'd like to just pray and welcome us into our worship time. And as we enter into worship, I want to encourage you as a way to process this. Just put in the comments while we're worshiping, how does Jesus bring you life? Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are the way, the truth, and the life. God, you are constantly bringing our life back to life, showing us what's most true, showing us what's most real, and leading us into a better way. God, we just proclaim on this Easter Sunday that you are risen. You have every power to be able to lead our lives into life, and we trust you in Jesus' name. Hey, this is Pastor Christian Ann of North City Church. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. We hope you feel more empowered to love your neighbors in the way of Jesus. If you have thoughts or questions, we would love to hear from you. You can leave us a voice message on our website, northcitychurchmpls.com backslash sermons. Learn more about the North City community there as well. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram, A special thanks goes out to Ben Noble for the music on this podcast. If you haven't heard Ben Noble's music yet, check it out at bennoblemusic.com. Let me send you into your day with this blessing. May God give you the eyes to see and the ears to hear all that God is doing in the world around you. And may he give you the courage to respond. Amen.